are in a series on the book of First Peter, week number seven, and it's been so chock full of just richness, so good every single week. And um, just to give you a little bit of context before we dive into the text, Peter is um, pretty much you can sum up the book of First Peter is Peter is is encouraging suffering Christians, and uh, Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Peter has literally witnessed his friends and family and people close in faith being killed for their faith, and the church is being scattered as we know it. Uh, the emperor is trying to rid the land of Christians, and, and so Peter is, is trying to encourage the people in 1 Peter, and uh, his, his main message is to, to continue to trust in Christ amidst the persecution. And so, um, and he gives us this this mega thought that I want to land on today that I think you will find so helpful and so encouraging today in 1 Peter chapter 4. And so if you could draw your attention to the screen, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, just a couple of quick verses here today. Verse 7 reads, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Verse 8 says, Above all, someone say, Above all, Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I've entitled this short talk today, Love Matters in the End. Love Matters in the End. Can you join me in prayer? God, thank you for the moments that we gather around your word today. Thank you, Lord, that you wrote scripture not for historical value for us so that we could just see what happened in the past, but you've written scripture for us today. Father, I pray that we would find our purpose in it. I pray that we would find power in it. As your word says, it has the life-transforming power inside of it. God, I pray that you would do it only you can do. Help me to communicate one more time today beyond my ability, Lord, and help us leave encouraged, full of love, full of hope, full of grace today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. How many of you how many of you, question, how many of you um, enjoy kids? A lot of parents with their hands down. What's up with that, man? A lot of you, I see you. A lot of parents refusing to put your hands up. I get it. I, I got two of my own. I, um, I enjoy my kids. I, I don't enjoy your kids, but I enjoy my kids. <laughs> I like your kids too, um, but I like, I like mine better. And, um, you know, I, I don't just, just don't just love my kids. I, I enjoy them. They're they're a lot of fun, right? They can be it can be stressful, but it you know having kids is is very rewarding, and it is a lot of fun. And I've got a picture of, of my kids up here. I've got two, two minions, and um, there's Ella on the left, and uh, she is my princess. She's seven, and Liam on the right. He's five years old, and he's all boy. And uh, I know for those of you that have kids in the room, you will relate with what I'm about to tell you, but there are no two kids alike, right? Those of you that have multiple kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, your kids are so different, man. Once they're just, it's amazing how different they all are, especially if you have more than two. I've heard that said, too, so I don't, I don't know because I don't have more than two, but I've heard people say they have more than two that that's the case, so. But no two kids are alike, man, and, and you know I love that. You know why I love that? Because... Uh, though it can be frustrating at times, man, both of my kids bring uh, an awesome dynamic to our family, right? They just, they make us who we are. You know, my son is just the athletic, just the goes 100 miles an hour, loves to wrestle, loves to just go and adventure and do things and be active. And, and um, you know, he just, he keeps the spark and the energy alive in our family. You know what I mean? 
And uh, my daughter is a little more reserved. She's a little more, um, you know, thoughtful. And uh, she's, she's more artistic and reflective in nature. Uh, she, she loves to, um, you know, just ask questions about how things work. Like, she'll ask, Dad, how does, how does that light bulb really, really work? And meanwhile, meanwhile, my son just wants to chuck a ball at the light bulb and break it. Just, there's these differences, you know, and, and I love it. I mean, I love the dynamic. It can be frustrating, right? I mean, when the kids are fighting and they're at odds, which seems like all the time, right? Like backseat fights are the worst, you know what I mean? Like when you're driving and there's a fight going on in the backseat and you just, you, you, you've had enough and your arm just kind of does one of these things here. You're just hoping to catch some, one of them, both of them. I do, this morning. Um... <laughs> You know, but, but, but it's a beautiful thing that, that our kids are so different. And, um, you know, I will say, though, the one area that my kids are very similar in is that neither one of them were ever really risk takers. Like, they just, you know, when they were younger, they didn't know the stove was hot, so they would touch it. Of course, like any kid does, they're curious, they want to touch stuff. And, you know, it's any kid, you know. But uh, as they started to kind of learn how stuff works, they just, they, they just, they, they kind of knew their limitations of what they could do, what they couldn't do. And they kind of learned just to kind of stay in their lane, so to speak. Like, my kids aren't those crazy kids that maybe yours are that just try, you know, go crazy and just they want to jump off everything, climb on everything, and, and do the craziest things, kind of always living on the edge. Well, that's, that's not really my kids. Um, but I will say um, Ella has, has started to kind of venture off a little bit in that direction. Believe it or not, my most reserved, quiet, quiet one and just kind of thoughtful and reflective one. And uh, I will say she is, she is very skilled, and she's so gifted in so many ways, so smart, so considerate, so loving. I mean, just so many great things about her. But I will say she is arguably um, the most uncoordinated little person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> just like my son got all the coordination, like 100% of it, and she got zero. Like it's just big differences, right? And, and the problem with that is my daughter has had this big interest, especially as of late, in gymnastics. Gymnastics, man, that's a lot of boo-boos and a lot of owies for people that are uncoordinated. And, but you know, she's doing great, right? She can bring her leg up and touch the back of her head with it and do all these crazy things. And she's starting to learn how to do like backhand springs and I can't watch, you know, but you know, she, she, she really enjoys the monkey bars, though. The monkey bars, hanging on bars, doing stuff on the bars, upside down. She loves it. There was one day recently, though, we were at a park in my neighborhood, really close to my house, and we're eating dinner. The kids ate dinner. Me and my wife were eating dinner. And, you know, we just kind of let them go play after because it's all kind of in the same area. And so I'm eating. My wife's eating. And then all of a sudden, we, about, from about 50 feet away from where we are to about that camera guy, we... We, uh, we hear Ellie yell, help, I'm falling. And we look over, and she's upside down on the monkey bars, ready to fall from seven feet in the air on her neck. Big deal, right? So, you know, I'm eating, so I can't get up. I'm, I'm busy. I'm occupied. As I know. Good thing for dad to do, right? So, Liana gets up, and um, I keep eating, and, and she runs. And I'll be honest, okay, in my mind, it appeared as if she um, just kind of just casually walked over to our daughter. That's, that's how it looked in my mind. Now, I know in her mind it wasn't the case I discovered after the fact, and you'll see what, what I'm about to tell you, but in my mind, she just kind of just casually just walked over while our daughter's hanging upside down, ready to fall on her neck from seven feet in the air. 
So it's a big deal. Like, it's like, dude, like, I see what's about to happen. Like, we got to do something. Like, get there. You can't get there quick enough. And so I yell, regretfully, um, why are you running so slow? Run faster. Didn't go well for me. She, she looks back and she's like, she, she gets there, all is well, and she, she's like, if you thought you could have ran faster, you should have came over here instead. That's messed up. Story of my life, right? Have you ever had a moment of urgency in your life where, like, you, you could not respond quick enough? Like, the magnitude of what was about to take place, if you didn't do something, was big. Right? Like, you knew, like, not doing something was not an option. Like, you knew, okay, house is on fire, got to do something. Can't just watch someone else do something. Like, I've got to do something. And what I love about 1 Peter chapter 4, as we begin diving into this text, is he gives us a thought that unquestionably demands a response. He gives us this, this thought that demands that we actually do something and demands that the people that he's writing this to in the text do something. And what I love about this thought is, is I think that the teaching that Peter gives in this text transcends culture, time, and space. And I think you'll find that it speaks to us here today in, this, in the modern church just as much as it spoke to them. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, I just want to go back to the verse here. This is the statement that Peter gives, this, this big moment. He says, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. I love the, the message translation of this verse, if you could put that up. The message translation reads, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Take nothing for granted. It was actually, as I, as I studied this text, I found that it was really common for the early church to just kind of always kind of live on the edge a little bit, just always on the edge of their seat, just kind of believing that the end is near. I think that's partially true for the fact that they were being killed left and right for their faith, that, that people that they know and love and, and do life with are just being killed at any moment, at any time, because of what they believe. That was a fact of life, and that's the context that he wrote this in. So I think it makes sense that he would write this, and it would carry some weight, right? Like the end of all things is near, right? And of course, this also speaks to the fact that Jesus is coming one day. Like, we don't know when our time is up. We don't know when the end of the world is coming. Everything's coming to an end soon. And he gives them this big statement, right? And he basically says, listen, this is, this is what's happening, and this should reorient some things in your life. This is what Peter is speaking. I don't know about you, but I am um, almost 30 years old now. And uh, the older I get, the more years pass by, the more aware I am of just the brevity of life. You know what I mean? Just, it's so quick, especially when you have some kids, man. The, the years just fly by, right? Like, you know, there's loved ones that we've, I've, I've lost a few people I really care about that are really close to me that have died within the last year and a half. And it's just, man, you're just kind of reminded in those moments, like, life is so short, man. It's here one second, it's gone the next. It's so momentary. It's like a mist. It's like a vapor, right? Just, just gone, right? Life is so short. 
And I must be honest, if you're anything like me, I think you, I think you probably are, but as Westerners, we're all very similar in that we often don't live our lives in a way that reflects that we believe that the end is near, as Peter is alluding to in, in, in first, first Peter 4. Like we, we've all got the nine to fives and the vacations and the lunches and the baseball games and, and all the things that we have planned, which are all great things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But I think as Westerners, if we could take a second and hit the pause button on life, we would all agree that it's not very often that we compare the current context of our life and how that plays out and affects eternity. Right? We're just, we're, we're so busy. We're so, so, so preoccupied. So I got this rope to just kind of help um, illustrate point here. I think we would all agree in the room that uh, eternity is a big deal, right? You agree with that? I mean, I think pretty much every person in the room would, would agree with that. And uh, I love this rope because it helps illustrate so well that um, this, this little portion here represents the, the hundred years of life, if we're lucky, that we get to live on this earth. Not all of us will. Um, I'm, I'm 30 years old, so if I'm lucky to live to 100, I've already lived more than a quarter of my life. If you're 50 years old and you live to 100, if you're that fortunate, uh, you've already lived half your life. Right? I mean, this, this life is so short, right? Like, it's, it's, it's 100 years, but what is 100 years in contrast to eternity, right? Like, like what I think this rope does so well is it shows us, uh, first off, the vastness of eternity. Like, it's, it's, it's never ending, right? Like, like, I know this rope fails. It's a 15-foot rope, so it fails to ad- adequately show us just how vast eternity is in comparison to this life. Um, but, but I think we can get the picture from this. The other thing that this rope shows us is that um, if this is of significance and importance, and if this is the end game, and this is what life is really all about, as Peter is going to say here in a moment, that the end is near, uh, this is what matters most. And what that says is this little short Hundred years on earth matters that much more because it's all connected. Where if, if, if we're going to live our life in such a way where the end is near, where this could drop in at any moment for any of us, this afternoon, tomorrow, like none of us are promised, if we live as if this is the, the most important thing, well, that should affect the way that we live here. The interesting thing, I think what you'll find in, the, in, in this text in 1 Peter chapter 4 is the, the one single biggest piece of advice that Peter gives us, inspired by God, the best thing that we can do to leverage our life for this is probably not what you think. It's probably not what you think. Let's take a look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 again. It says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Here it is, verse 8. Above all, someone say above all. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Wow. Let's look at the message translation. I think it's just awesome the way that it words it, words this, this, um, this text. It says, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. The interesting thing about this text is, if I'm Peter, 
And I'm, my people are being killed daily, mo- moment by moment. Someone's dying, right? Like the government, Nero, is, is trying to kill us for our faith, and we're being scattered and persecuted. Like it seems like a pretty urgent moment, right? Um, if, if I'm Peter, I think it wouldn't be the first thing that I would say that the response, given the urgency of the hour, is, is to love. Love, Peter? Like, I get love's important. Like, I think we all get that. Like, we got to love people and hug people and accept people. Like, we know that. We know that that is important. It's a nice thing to do. We know that the Bible says to do that. Um, but, but right now, Peter, like this, this seems like an important thing, but not an urgent thing, Peter. Like, if I'm Peter in the text, what I'm sending the people to do, what I'm telling them to do is, is hey, like, you may not live till tomorrow. It's like, let's go, man, guns blazing. Let's stand on the street corner and preach the gospel till we're blue in the face. Right? And let's, let's, let's do everything we can to get this message out there because the people need to hear. We're not promised tomorrow. Go, go, go. Peter says, no, love deeply. It almost is kind of like if I could use a sports metaphor like Peter, like, that's too much defense. Like at some point, we got to play some offense here. Like we got to advance the mission here. And Peter says, Peter says, no, 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 no. If you're going to live in such a way like the end is near, contrary to what you might think, feel, the best and most impactful thing that you can do right now in this moment is love deeply because love overcomes and oversees sin. Wow. So what does it mean when it says this text says to love deeply? Let's just dive into the text here and, and um, see what this, what this actually means here. So when, when this verse is talking about deep love, uh, what it means is, is deep love. <laughs> love that. Uh, it's, it's an agape love. It's a love that is unconditional. It's a love that is universal for all people, uh, and it has no end. Like, this is the type of deep love that Peter is saying we should have if we're going to live like the end is near. Like, we should have this universal um, love that just it knows no bounds, it knows no limits, it doesn't matter who the person is, what the person has done, we agape you, we love you. And then the second part of that verse is love covers over a multitude of sins. That word cover, this is, follow me here, that word cover in the Greek, in the original language, is, is the word kalupto. Kalupto, which means to hide, or in, how, for us to best understand it, overlook. So what Peter is saying here in this verse is that if we're going to leverage our life, and we're going to live as if the, the end of all things is near, the best thing you can do is love in such a way because love covers or overlooks sin. Okay, what this doesn't mean, let me clear this up. What this doesn't mean is that if we just love people and overlook the sin that is in their life, they will be forgiven by God. No, that's not it. This doesn't mean that their sins will be atoned for. This does not mean that they will be forgiven as it relates to God. What this means is that as we overlook other people's sin or shortcomings as it relates to us, that paves the way for them to experience the forgiveness that only comes from God. 
So in other words, as we can get to a place, as we get to a place in our life where we overlook the sin of others as it relates to us, we forgive, we keep short accounts, we, don't, we, we forgive quickly. As we do that, it enables us to point to the cross, to the love, to true forgiveness that every single person that we rub shoulders with really needs. So the question begs to be asked, are we loving well? Are you loving well? Are you loving in a way that helps the gospel or are we loving in a way that hurts the gospel? Let me just say this. I'll make an obvious statement here. The gospel in and of itself is offensive. Do you know that? And I know everyone's offended nowadays. Like I know that's, that's the kind of a thing going on in our culture, right? And um, but the, the gospel message in and of itself is, is an offensive work because it, it challenges us to live different, to die to ourself. It challenges us to do things that we really do not want to do. And in the flesh, they seem right, but the gospel says, no, 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 no. There's a way that seems right to a man and at least to death. Don't go that way, right? The gospel is an offensive word. The only thing, my prayer is that the only thing that would be offensive to people that step foot onto this campus is the gospel. Because I think at times we hurt the mission of the gospel by offending people with our approach. Our approach should be of love, right? People should feel that, man, we are an inclusive church, man, where all are welcome. It doesn't matter what your struggle, what your sin is, you're welcome here. We can overlook your sin just as, just, as, just as others have overlooked our sin because really at the end of the day, what matters most is that your sin is paid for by the blood of Jesus and that is what we are most concerned with. There's no time to point the finger. There's no time for us to cast judgment on somebody else, man. And I love what, what this verse says in, in uh, John 13, 35. It says, it says, by this, I love the New Living Translation, so I'll read this one. It says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, man, the distinguishing factor that sets us apart as believers is the way that we love each other. It's not the way that we point the finger or the way that we live the most holy life. That's not the way that the thing that should set us apart. It is by us willingly embracing people, loving people, accepting people right where they are, overlooking sin. They might have said some things to us and done some things to us, but we have gotten to a place where we realize that the end is near. And what's most important is that we extend love, is that we extend forgiveness, is that we extend grace, even when we don't feel like it because there's a greater mission at stake. There's a greater purpose at stake. Eternity matters more than now. Eternity matters more than now. So how do we cover, okay? I want to get really practical right here and just give you... Um, what I think this is saying to us, how do we practically cover other people's sin? What does that look like? Okay, I think it's four words. These four words are so simple, but they're so profound. It, it will change the, way that we, change the way that we love. They didn't mean that. They didn't mean that. This means that we assume the best of people. This doesn't mean that we, we, uh, we act blind to our surroundings and what's going on. I'm not saying that we don't protect ourselves and the ones that we love from harm. That's not what I'm saying here. 
But what I am saying is that we assume the best in people even when offense has taken place. There is so much power in that. So what does this look like more even you know, practically? So what does it mean to say they didn't mean that? So if somebody says something about you or to you that really offends you, they didn't mean that. Someone embezzles funds from your business or steals from you and it, it hurt, it caused some damage. They didn't mean that. Now, they may need to get fired. You may need to fire somebody, but um, imagine a boss that approaches his business or his department in a way where they can lovingly fire someone for something that they did with, in the back of their head, what really is the, 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 the drive in their heart is they have a true belief that, you know what, this isn't who you are. This isn't who you are. This, you, you didn't mean that. You might have stole some things, and you can't work here anymore, and I'm sorry for that, but, but, but I know this isn't you. And you're going to have to learn from this, and you're going to have to move on, and you're going to have to work somewhere else. And I wish it wasn't the case. I love you, and I want you to know that um, this wasn't you. Imagine the power in that. That is, that is approaching our, our life in such a way where we are reorienting everything in our life in such a way where we are considering that the end is at hand. The end of this life, man, and everywhere we go, in our cul-de-sac, in our families, we have the power. We have the power within our words. We have the power within our thoughts, man, to, to overcome, to cover people's sin as it relates to us so that by God's grace we can point to a Savior and point to a cross and see people forgiven for sin, which is what matters most in the end. I know what you're thinking, though. What if they did mean it? Like, what if, you know, they told me they were going to do it, and they did it? What if I know that they mean it? Can I tell you what your response should be? They didn't mean it. Here's why. It is God's place to judge. In fact, Peter says here in this verse, he says in, in, in 1 Peter 4, verse 5, check this out. He says, you can't miss this. He says, but remember that they will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. There is such power in releasing whatever it is you are feeling, the emotion, the tension, the, uh, the bitterness, the anger inside to God and saying, God, if this was me, this person would suffer. This person would be in jail. This person would, you know, whatever the, the list goes on. But God, I choose to overlook offense and trust you. Let me show you a verse in 1 Peter chapter 4. He concludes the whole chapter and puts a cute bow tie in the whole thing. Man, this verse is so awesome. He says, so if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep doing what is right. So it's not talking about if you're suffering because you did something dumb. If you stole, if you killed somebody, right, there's, there, there can come a suffering from that that, that, is not, that is not from God, right? It's not talking about that. It says, but if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep doing what is right. And here's the key word, and trust. Trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. Church, ah, heaven is going to be so much better than we can even imagine. 
I think it's important for us to take moments and Sunday afternoons and consider this, man, and just hit the pause button and think about our life, man. Heaven is so much better than what is. I think it's going to be so much better than what we have and, and it's so much freer, so much more freer than what we are experiencing here. In fact, the Bible says that no man can even imagine or conceive all the things that God has planned for you and me when eternity comes. It is that good. We can't even imagine it. There's another verse that says that our present suffering is not even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed one day. It's not even worth being in the same conversation. It's not even worth being in the same sentence. Like, we've got to remind ourselves, man, that, that heaven is going to be so much better than we think, man. And I think there's going to come a time where we stand before God. And I think there's going to be a universal sound that sweeps across humanity in one moment. I think we're all going to say this together. This, this is just my opinion, but I think there's just going to be a collective, ah, oh, no words, no words. And I think in, 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 in when the moment comes, I, don't, I think we're going to maybe look back over our life and we're going to wish that we over, we, 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 we covered other sins more and we, 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 we forgave quicker and we're going we're to wish that we did everything with, that we killed within our power to leverage the life that we have, this short 100 years if we're lucky that we have on this earth, that we leverage that well for eternity. But it's not easy all the time. If I could share with you where the, um, where the rubber meets the road for me with this moment of vulnerability for me, I'll, I'll share with you, I think that some of you will relate with this, but this message, as I was studying this week, the last couple weeks for it, the hours that I put into preparing for this and studying the text and, the, and everything, I just, I feel like this is more for me than maybe anyone else in the room. And um, I've had a, a pretty rough relationship with my dad uh, for the majority of my life. Um, uh, there, there's been, uh, I think many of you could probably relate to that statistically. Probably most of you have a very similar story in the room. Um, and there's a lot of pain involved with that. Uh, my dad uh, dealt with uh, drug addiction and alcohol addiction pretty much, you know, since I've known him. That's all I've kind of known. And uh, out of that, there's come a lot of hurt. There's come a lot of pain. There's come a lot of things that have been said, uh, things that have been done and things that, that haven't been said or done that probably should have been um, that weren't. And, um, and so there's been a lot of pain in that. And, and, and more recently, there's been some conversation that I've had, I've had with, uh, with, with my dad, and, and I'm still praying that he would overcome this, this alcohol addiction. And, and, um, but there's been some things said a little more recently that, that just honestly I couldn't imagine being said, you know. And, and of course we could chalk it up to the alcohol, I get it, you know. We take it with a grain of salt, alcohol, just it's a sick, it's a sick thing. And it can make people just be someone they're not, and I get that, um, but, but it hurts. Because I, I can say that, but, but at the end of the day, that's, that's my dad. And I don't think to ignore it helps. Um, I, that's just the reality. And so I'm, I'm, I'm navigating those waters. And like many of you are, like we're all just, a lot of us are there. And there's a lot of pain in that. And um, I had a conversation recently with him. And um, we were just kind of talking through that stuff and getting the help and everything. And, and uh, things have been kind of going well with us. And we're, you know, I'm working really hard to kind of build a relationship and just be the best son that I can. And... Um, you know, there, were, there, was, there was an exchange of, of 
words recently and some things were said that were really hurtful to me. And I, can I just be honest with you? My natural response was to retaliate. My natural response was to be defensive because there's a lot of years of hurt and pain, dude, that you don't know about, that you just act like didn't happen. And, and I have a whole lot of reason to give it all to you right now. But you know, and I could. And, and I was tempted to go there, man. I had those feelings start to come up, those tensions rise up within me. And I just, maybe it was the Holy Spirit, but I just felt like just, you know what, let me just, let me just pause a minute. I decided to not do it. And I decided to just tell him, this, this is my exact words to my dad. I said, Dad, in a loving way, I said, your addiction has caused a lot of pain in my life. I want you to know that. And I want you to know, if you never ask for forgiveness, I want you to know right now that I, I forgive you. I love you. I want the best for you. And I'll whenever you want to talk again, I'll be right here waiting. So let me know. I tell you, that wasn't easy. There wasn't an ounce of me that wanted to do that. But there's a reason I did do it, and I'll share that in a moment. I had a conversation with some family, some extended family recently, just about the whole situation, and a lot of people have been hurt by the whole, whole ordeal, and they said, you know, how could you just be so open to that? Like, you've, just been, you've been hurt so much. Like, how, how could you just be okay now like like how, how could you just lovingly say say that say what you said like at some point you got to stop going back to the pl the thing that's hurting you and I'm like no no listen this is this is what I said this is what I had the opportunity to tell my family I said the most important thing for me is not that my dad gets to a point where he overcomes his addiction one day that's important I'm believing for that. I'm believing for his addiction to be cured, for him to overcome that addiction. I am believing that, that relationships with my dad and relationships with all of his family are going to be restored, man. I'm believing that. I said the most important concern on my head is whether my dad's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I feel like this message just kind of came alive in me where I'm starting to kind of get it. I don't got it, but I'm starting to kind of get it because I realize the power in overlooking someone else's sin and the effect that that has on their eternity. My fighting is not with words. My fighting is on my knees in my room when no one's watching. That's my fighting. We fight with prayer, as Pastor Glenn says all the time. We fight with prayer and we win with love. Let me just say, though, that, that, let, let's acknowledge the obvious. That, that's not easy. In fact, let me say this. Sometimes loving people, certain people, can be a form of suffering. Sometimes we will spend our entire life on this earth. You may spend 100 years of your life on this earth loving someone, never seeing it reciprocated once, never feel like it, feeling like it made a difference once. Loving can be a form of suffering. Peter is writing this text to suffering Christians and he's offering them encouragement, telling them, keep doing good and trust the creator. Trust the creator. This is one of those sermons that sounds really cute and easy from a platform, man, but it's much harder to live this because it demands that we consider the opportunities and the people that are in our life and the, the, the sin that is in those around us and the, the hurt and the pain and, the, and, and all of that. And we learn to get to a point where we're saying, God, this hurts. But give me the strength to overlook this somehow, some way, God, so that it can somehow point to you. If we can learn to leverage 
this hundred years of our life is very short. For, for most of us in the room, it won't be that long. If we can leverage this short time on earth and learn to love deeply in a way that covers people's sin, I think there is such a power that will be released for people to see a Savior. And that is my prayer, man, that I would leverage my life on this earth, however long it is, God, to my last dying breath, overlooking sin, overlooking offense, saying, God, this matters most. This matters most. Help me not forget that. That's exactly what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. This is coming soon, and this is never-ending. This is never-ending. In other words, this is important. You've got to consider this. You've got, to, you've got to take this seriously. And not only that, but the most important thing you can do, he says, is love deeply. Oh, I don't like that. But are we living for momentary comfort and satisfaction here? Or are we living for impact here? Let's be people of love. Let's be people that overlook. Can you imagine a church full of people that overlook sin? Amen. That don't judge, don't point the finger at people that walk through the door, but they willingly open their arms and accept people and love people. And even if they offend people, they didn't mean that. We forgive you because there's a creator that wants to forgive you. Come sit by me, please, and let me show you something, man, because I just believe, man. What if, what if we had a church like that? That's, a, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church our community needs. That's the kind of people that God has called us to be. Man, we have the end in mind. And though we're busy, though we're, we're occupied as Westerners with so many great things that I think are only a snippet of what's to come in heaven, man. We think we've, we've got it good, and we, we love vacations and scenery, and we love all the, the beauty of this earth, man. I think, I think it's, only, it's only a snippet of what's to come in eternity, man. Let's leverage this life in such a way. God, for this, for this, for this. Could you stand with me, stand to your feet with me today? Here is the most important question of the day. The question that I've been praying for most really the culmination of everything that I've said today is, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you're watching online or you're here and you don't, and, and today you want to, man. I want you to know that there's a God in heaven that loves you so, so, so much that he sent his son to this earth to die for your sin, for my sin. The Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 31, that if you believe in Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. That's it. It's not enough to just believe in Jesus, right? But you believe in Jesus as Lord. He is Lord of my life. He is Lord of your life. He has forgiven you of your sin. He has set you free. You are forgiven and you trust him as Lord. And you're saved today. The Bible says that we are all born sinners, separated from God. We didn't, we didn't want it. We, we were kind of born into it, right? Just, it's just we're all in the same boat. We're all born sinners separated from God, and that's exactly why God sent his son Jesus to die for our sins, to take our penalty. 
because sin has to be paid for, the Bible says. Our God is so perfect, so holy, that sin just has to be dealt with. It just just has to be. And there will be some people, unfortunately, that decide to not have their sins covered by the blood of Jesus. And there will be some people that maybe spend an eternity, there'll be some people that spend an eternity separated from God in hell because of it. And some people say, well, well, how can a loving God send someone to hell? It's not that God doesn't send people to hell because he hates them. People go to hell because they're paying for their sins. Because sins must be paid for. How terrible of a thing is it that someone would pay for something that's already been paid for? Can I plead with you? You trust in Jesus today and have your sins covered, man. And I can't promise you life will get easier. I can't promise you life will get better here on this earth, man. But you can secure your eternity today by simply saying, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I need you. Thank you for paying my penalty that I deserve to pay. I give you my life. I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name.